Mike Judge, the creator of Beavis and Butthead. Somebody's got a case of the Mondays. Here comes the movie, Your Boss. Looks like you've been missing a lot of work lately. Well, I would say I've been missing it, Bob. <laughs> doesn't want you to see. Humans were not meant to sit in little cubicles. That's just a straight shooter with upper management written all over them. It might be more fun to just get fired, and I've always wondered what that would take. Office Space, rated R. On February 19th, work sucks only in theaters. Movies. Yeah. For guys who like movies. Movie podcast for guys who like podcasts. I don't even oh. know where to start with this movie. I'm going to be all over the place. I know. Ugh. This movie's iconic. It's it's crazy. Yeah. It's dumb. It's funny. Yeah. It's it's everything. brilliant. It's like genius and dumb all at the same time. It's yeah. Perfect almost. The great stuff. Well, we uh we're looking at a movie this week that again continues to parallel the story of John David and Brent and how Recon Cinema Studios came to be. In That's in right olden times we worked in an office together and beat up printers and uh ended up with a large bank account for whatever reason which we won't discuss and that funded the was the original funding for recon cinema studios yeah that's so, how we, we built this place yeah, the empire yeah. is built on the the backs of of uh, a technology company <laughs> exactly that's right i i still have the stapler <laughs> right it was called munch attack Munch Tech. Yeah. That, that just like... rolls right off the top. <laughs> little, little known co- tech company in the in the uh aughts, the early aughts. Early aughts, yeah. Aughts. Munch yeah. Tech, yeah. Yeah. Well <laughs> Silicon Valley adjacent. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh welcome back to another episode of Reconcinimation. I am John Diner. I'm David Munchak. And I'm Brent Hutchins. And this is the podcast that takes a look back at some of our favorite films from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We're checking out how they hold up here in the present day. And we're going to set the Wayback Machine about 22 years. Is it that long? Has it been that that long already? Yeah, just about. We've hit the 22-year anniversary as of this recording. Punch it in for February 21st, I believe, 1999. That's right. We're going we're going back to the year we've covered a number of times already, but it was a glorious year for film. Uh, and we are going to look at Mike Judge's Office Space. Hey, OK, right. I'm in. Hey now. Let's do this. Hey, now, you know, and we've been we've kind of had a heavy couple of episodes. The Oof. last last couple colors there. conversation. It's dark and deep. And, and now we're, we're going to lighten it up. Right. Yeah. I hope so. This, you know, there's some darkness to this, but I don't think it's it's anything close to what we've been doing. Uh, no, no, <laughs> no. This this movie, the tone of this movie, while there is some dark things in it, the tone of this movie always felt light to me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's very much a poignant uh, commentary with lightheartedness and a little bit of uh, I don't know, a little little bit of grit there about uh, all sorts of things. The American workplace, capitalism, uh, co-workers, you know, <laughs> drudgery. Michael Bolton. Doldrums. Uh, but pop culture, Michael Bolton. Pop culture Bolton. icon. 
That's yeah. right. So lots going on. Lots going on in this movie. Little did they know that years later he'd he'd do that Captain Jack Sparrow bit and become hot again. Oh like, my god. Know. Smartest thing he could have done. <laughs> you know, yeah. Well, yeah. Was With he the, ever not just the best thing ever? I don't I don't remember that. You don't remember Captain Jack Sparrow? I don't remember him ever having a downtime in his oh, career. Yeah. <laughs> well, when you when you're the king, you know, you just stay at the top the whole time. <laughs> Uh, I actually worked with him, and um, he was he was great. He was he was great, and he had to send his whole. We were using all of his gold and platinum albums uh, for set dressing. He was playing himself in this particular series I was on, and he shipped all of his real platinum and gold albums and memorabilia like to me to my house <laughs> and i get home and there's just like boxes of i mean i don't know how valuable that stuff is but that's like, crazy feels weird that this is just sitting on my doorstep like <laughs> well get this coincidence so i worked with david Harmon, who played michael bolton in the oh, we've worked with all the Michael Boltons. All of them. We've covered the bases. I've, I've, I worked with Diedrich Bader. Who did you? All right, yeah, I have. And I've Great also friends. worked with Gary Cole and Stephen Root. Oh, that's right. We've all. Is there so, anybody yeah. that we haven't worked with in this movie? So, I don't think so. So all of us could text the people we're talking about. I think at this point, I've yeah. got, I've, I've got, I've got Diedrich in my phone. He's, I can call him. I could, yeah. I Should Steven I get him on the right show? Now. You know, let's get dial him in. Let's get Deidre. the cast of Office Space. Let's, in, on <laughs> let's the get right all now. of them in in impromptu conference call Zoom. Uh, we're talking Office Space. A good. Let's get, a, let's get the a, interns. The interns are getting on it right now. All right, so. let's see if we can connect. Who who yeah. will join us? Yeah, uh, I also I actually did try to get one of the actors from the movie to be on the podcast for a minute. He was a roommate. Uh, to one of my good friends that I used to work with. And uh, the, the guy who played the tchotchkes waiter, Todd Duffy, oh. Oh, yeah. uh, the, the Todd or Brian, I think is his name in the movie, but uh, the one that has all the flair. All 37 pieces 37 of pieces. Jennifer Aniston's arch nemesis in this movie. <laughs> so can I get you gentlemen something more to drink or maybe something to nibble on, some pizza shooters, shrimp poppers or extreme fajitas? Just coffee. Okay, sounds like a case of the Mondays. <laughs> I was gonna try and get him on on the line for us, but uh, it it fell through. It didn't happen. Sorry. Sorry. Did he, did he refuse outright? No, it's you know I we've lost we've lost our 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 mutual uh, connection is they're yeah not, they're no longer hanging out as much. So uh, I get it. Was, yeah, it'd be it. a little weird to come out of nowhere and say, "Hey, I'm doing yeah. this podcast. You should come and do this because this will help me and not anything for you." <laughs> yeah, it's been about ten years since we've hung out. So. I heard that the best way to get people on the show is just to just grab them on the street. Yeah, with a like a black sack over yeah. there. Yes. Over. I mean, yeah. I last texted Diedrich about a week ago. So, do you call oh, him yeah. We're not friends at all, <laughs> and I don't think he even knows what I look like. But. <laughs> He is one of he is one of my favorite characters in this movie, though. Oh, absolutely! Oh, there's so many great. Uh, there's I'll, so many. Yeah, I've worked with All Steven. Right. I I want to say at least four separate times. Oh wow! Yeah, and it wasn't really only until the last one that we like really 
the first one was when you were guesting on news radio that was that yeah accurate? first when i was guest starring which turned into a series regular role on news radio <laughs> yeah <laughs> you were great on that that was the beginning of uh what would be a friendship you know 25 <laughs> years later yeah uh-huh. probably the most iconic character from this movie i don't know there's a i mean god we'll get into the all the characters but there's, there's lines, so characters shots scenes music <laughs> everything about this movie is amazing there's a there's... box office number that happened it's gonna yeah. be crazy <laughs> hang in there gang we're gonna get through it all there's so many i i would say iconic characters that really came out of this and and when this kind of flipped over into a cult movie just really just blew up much bigger than when it when it came out but we will circle back to that we will Uh, circle back this movie so i did not catch this in the theater did either of you guys fuck yes i did you did you really i I sure did i saw this i saw this i i couldn't tell you the date and i feel in uh i saw it with my friend chris from we were good friends in grade school, junior high. Then we went to different high schools. And then I think it was a birthday thing. Like, hey, it's your birthday. Hey, you want to like go see a movie or some shit? And uh, Mike Judge, Mike Judge, you know, Beavis and Butthead's Mike Judge has a movie. And uh, let's go see it. And I saw this shit in the theater. And uh, I don't think we got it at the time. I don't think we were ready for it. It's weird when you see it. We were 19. I don't know. You know, it just, it didn't, it, part of it didn't really resonate. Like there was a lot of funny things about it, but you don't really get this movie until later. I think once you entered like the, the drudgery of the workforce um, uh, in life. So, but no, I saw it in the theater and I wanted to love it and I, I didn't love it, but ever, I mean, anytime I've seen, I, I don't know how many times I've seen the movie since, but it just continued to get better and better. So, and it, it's a, it's a short little movie. I think it's 90 minutes Yeah, with credits. You know, yeah. it's a it's perfect tight. length. It's quick. It's perfect nice. length. And no, yeah. I don't think we should, by the way, I don't think we should review movies that are longer than 90, 93 minutes. It's going to limit going too, forward. Too late, David. I, no, no. I mean, going forward, because we've, we've had some, we've had some epic shows. <laughs> <laughs> well, we we did talk for almost three hours about Mortal Kombat, which is <laughs> well well deserved Worth every yeah, second, absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, no, I I so I I think I am one of the true believers who saw it in the theater. You two snoozed on it. Well, I definitely, you- I definitely did not see it in the theater, but I could not tell you the first time I did see it or who I was with, which must mean that I saw it in college at some point because those are all foggy hazy days gets foggy back then yeah uh david you're the only person i i know that has seen this in the theater especially when it first came out i mean a lot of people have seen it in re-releases and screenings since but yeah the double feature uh with the uh, you pair that with what uh, uh let's see maybe a young frankenstein usually absolutely Office space what? and young frank is a classic matchup i think is the is what they do now in the the what the ki- all the kids are doing yeah they're doing young Frank and they're doing office space they i'm gonna it. i'm gonna have my assistant send over get you a, a half a cup of coffee as just a congratulations uh you saw <laughs> office space in the theater 
Thank you. Thank so you. There yeah, you go. I'll, I'll take it. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. You're not getting the. Back. You're not getting the usual five dollar Starbucks gift card. Yeah, I'll just take a. <laughs> I'm getting the the straight Java. Give me that sludge. Let's <laughs> yeah. line me up. Give me. Uh, no, yeah, yeah. So no, I I was like, I don't know. Mike Mike Judge was becoming a household name. I mean, I'm sure we're gonna talk about this, but Michael Mike Judge was becoming a household name with his Beavis and Butthead stuff from the mid early. It was the late early '90s to mid '90s to right. early late '90s, uh, you know. And so you know him having a movie. I don't even think I don't. We're going to talk about it. I don't know if he had a movie before this. He probably did, but maybe not. And then so just like, the Beavis oh, and Butthead movie, right? That was, right. That yeah. was it. So like Beavis and Butthead was kind of a huge thing, I think, for our generation. Um, yeah. And. Uh, I mean, he had he had hits, right? Like he had Beavis and Butthead, obviously the TV show, but then King of the Hill was yeah, he popular as well. I don't even know when that came out. When did that come out? Ninety seven. So by this point, he had uh, Beavis and Butthead was over by now, and right, yeah, and and, yeah, we're gonna kind of do a little bit of a dive into Judge, but he had at this point, uh, Beavis and Butthead was over. He had Daria, and he had King of the Hill. Oh, Daria. Which yeah, I, I don't think he was really involved the whole time with Daria. I think he sort of kickstarted it, and then that was that was part of his exit strategy from Beavis and Butthead. But kind of like only... a J.J. Abrams and Lost kind of thing. Kind, yes, exactly. Basically, which <laughs> always works. Always works. <laughs> Great idea, guys. And I'm gonna just and I'm out right from under. <laughs> I'm just I'll gonna throw up some lens flare and poof. I'm out. <laughs> and then you'll never know I was here. <laughs> no plans for the future um yeah. i saw this so yeah I, I did not catch it in the calendar year of 1999 i did not see it until the summer of 2000 back in santa fe uh with my roommate joel who's appeared on on this show uh several times mm-hmm. and it was the last time so that was going into our senior year of college. And at the time I had kind of buddied up with the, the older Brent, you remember like Nick and Bennett and Tobin and Frank and that little guy named Ryland goose yeah. uh, <laughs> muffin. Uh, yeah. Cause Rylan, sausage. Yeah. <laughs> Rilo and I were roommates that same summer. Yeah. 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 I remember, I remember Ryland. Some of those names sound familiar. No, yeah. just kidding. I remember all of them. I just but I had I had just started kind of producing some of their short films and and we were kind of become buddies and they graduated and this was one of the last times we hung out. I think it was the last time we all kind of hung out was watching we watched this movie together and uh, I was kind of mesmerized by it. I I fell in love with it immediately. So I I hadn't started in the workforce yet i mean not in like the corporate kind of workforce like yeah. we had started our college jobs and working wherever but so i think there was a bit of it that i could identify with but uh i don't know i've i fell in love with with gary cole right here oh, yeah I th- yeah i think i think this is the first thing i had an, an awareness of gary cole although i did see dutch as a child and uh, gary cole's in that isn't he no He's no, not, not Dutch. In that. He's the, he's uh, he Mike in? Brady in the Brady Bunch movies. That's right, Mike Brady. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, yeah, I mean that this for me this was a cast I was getting familiar with for the, almost the first time. I think Diedrich Bader I knew from the Drew Carey show. Um, right, right. 
And I honestly, I don't know if I really knew Ron Livingston. I'd have to look. Yeah, I, I think Jennifer think so. Aniston and was kind she, of the biggest name in the movie, right? Yeah, I think I, I think that's part of it. Jen was a selling point because Friends was on the air for two, three years at this point or four years. I don't even know. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think it was it's kind of weird. Like Jennifer Aniston is this little movie. It's Mike Judge. Like, yeah, let's get me in there. Yeah, it's it's a weird it's an interesting part of all of these people's careers, because some of them, this was even though they'd been around for a while, this was the beginning of the launching, you know, the real like launching, uh, you know, pad of their of the re of the rest of their career. And the others were just getting started. She's, you know, a big TV star, but not hasn't really done any features besides Leprechaun. Right. But uh, and Mike Judge, by now, I would say it was sort of a, a king of television. I mean, when you look at the, bo the 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 his body of work and how many shows he's had on television and how long those runs were. I mean, at least animation. Animation, right. but he's also had Silicon Valley and, and a few other oh, shows. Since, so. since. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, since. Oh, I yeah. mean, I, from right now, yeah. look at his body of work. What do you guys how do you guys feel about Mike Judge as a filmmaker overall now? Just saying from including Silicon and including all of his other shows. Are you are, are you a fan of his or what do you think about his style of comedy? I'm overall overall a big fan. I think uh you know, I think his commentary gets gets sharper as the culture changes. He's he's kept up with how culture changes. And I mean, he he has his niche, right? So it's not like you know, he, with King of the Hill, it's it's sort of a uh, the the Texas sensibilities for a family sitcom, right? And 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 kind of trying to find the foibles of 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 human beings in just trying to survive in that kind of culture. Uh, Beavis and Butthead, teens, Gen X teens, essentially. Um, Idiocracy, obviously, huge commentary on uh, the you know the. The spiraling down of 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 America, American culture, intelligence, uh, uh, you know, morality, all of that, and then you know when you have something like Silicon, where it's a little more, you can have fun really poking the poking the the elite and uh, the elite uh, of people who are who are shaping America with through technology. I don't think he's lost a step. I think he continues to to grow and, and improve on what he's doing he's not saying the same things um he's finding exactly the the things in each each uh, subject matter that he was trying to to a, you know to satirize and parody um making making very light of the people involved he's not really making heroes out of anyone uh, yeah well king of the hills different but it's just people trying to survive and uh yeah, I think I think he I think he does a great job. I think over the the span of his career, um, he he's continued to evolve and make it make it good. He makes it good, guys. Yeah, I'd I'd agree with that. I mean, you know, I I've been a big fan of his since uh, really Beavis and Butthead. I I don't know if he had done anything prior to that don't really I'm not really sure. But Beavis and Butthead, I mean, every day after high school. I'd go over to my buddy Chris Dixon's house and we would watch Beavis and Butthead on TV as part of our like after school ritual, right? Yeah. We'd watch that. And then being a kid growing up in Texas, like 
not that I was a huge fan of King of the Hill, but, you know, and it's a satire, but the fact that some guy was making a show about dudes in Texas sitting out drinking beer by their fence, making commentary on the neighborhood, like, you know, it was, it was, I was interested in it from that perspective. Um, and then movie wise, like, I like everything that he's done. Extract was not exactly, uh, oh, I think, okay. I think for me, probably not, not my most favorite of his, but, but everything else. I mean, I really, I don't know if anybody's seen uh, the tales from the tour bus stuff that he does, but mm -hmm. those are pretty cool. Um, and then Silicon Valley, I think um, I know everybody was geeking out about game of Thrones during that time, but in all honesty, I was always excited that Silicon Valley's new episode was airing right after game of Thrones. Yeah. I'd be able to see that, you know, like that was yeah. the highlight of my yeah. week. Not that I don't like Game of Thrones, but I was more excited about Silicon Valley than I was oh. on a week, a week to week basis. I was like, this is going to be funny. It's going to be good. So uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of, of his, his work. I think there, he's directed. I think there were a couple seasons where Silicon Valley and Veep were airing concurrently instead of, and then I think in the later seasons they were not airing at the same time, but mm -hmm. that was a solid hour of TV <laughs> after yeah. Game of Thrones. I loved, I prefer, I preferred those two over, you know, an hour of Game of Thrones, which I enjoyed, but yeah. You know, give me, give me the laughs, baby. Yeah. It's interesting to see how, yeah, how he's evolved from this, when you look at the early animation stuff he was doing, it looks primitive to, to, you know, the way animation, Brent, you know a lot about this, how animation is done now. Uh, but even as a filmmaker beyond that, seeing idiocracy and extract and then evolving into Silicon Valley, which was a, a really interesting show. And a lot of that was Alec Berg also kind of working hand in hand together. And I, when that show was airing, I I always felt like it's the same problem. They have the same problem every oh, season, over always. and over and over. They might have money. Their business is going to succeed. It's going to yeah. fail, and it's going to always shoot themselves they, in the foot. It's, yeah, there's always yeah. something that happens. It, it is the same same situation, absolutely. But yeah. the characters are so good. The performances are so good. And really, even though it's sort of the same plot every season, the writing's really good. You know, it's a solid show, and and I was always entertained by it. It wasn't my favorite show, but it was probably top five. Mm -hmm. yeah. But that and that Sunday yeah. night lineup, like you, I, I I would watch Thrones, and then I I would have to watch Silicon and Veep just to kind of come back down from the intensity of Thrones. Like you needed that that chaser sort of. Yeah. Yeah, so, same story. Same. St it's 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 the same show each time, but the stakes continue to get higher. It's mm -hmm. that whole fake it till you make it, you know. And and they just keep kind of like through dumb luck, continuing to to propel themselves, yet while still failing miserably and shooting themselves in the foot each step yeah. of the way. Yeah. yeah. Silicon was the fastest hour in TV because, honest to God, I don't I don't know what it is about that. It was as soon as it was as soon as it was over. I'm like, how is it over already? Like the episode's well, over. Like there's there's more to say here. Was it an uh, hour though? I thought it was only 22 minutes. Yeah, I thought it was a half hour. No, it was a Maybe. half hour. I'm I'm just yeah, it's a half an hour, and usually I think closer to 30 minutes than 22. But yeah, it would be over in a yeah, second. It's gone. And I'm it's like, like, what? 
like I feel like I barely watched it. It, <clears throat> it, it. Something in the structure, the writing, the, the and how they would jump from scene to scene and can, keep yeah. things going. It always felt like the quickest time uh, for every episode. Well, I, isn't I that the mark of a good show? I think so. I was I was invested. Like, I wish that was a binge binging show. Like, I would just like and I because I'm sure I could just watch the whole season in a day or two. Oh, yeah. Not that they did a lot of episodes, but oh man, like I I really enjoyed that show. Yeah, Brent, do you have a a an affinity for Mike Judge being a fellow Texan? Oh yeah, hundred percent. That's what I was. That's what I was saying yeah. about the King of the King of the Hill stuff. Like, you know, he was based out of Austin. Him and Robert Rodriguez, and even Tarantino for a time, and like. During that time, and Linklater, and like, Richard Linklater. And, oh yeah, Link, yeah, Linklater for sure. Like all those guys, um, you know, being a kid in Texas who was excited about the entertainment industry and uh, wanting to go into that as a career, you know, these are the dudes that were kind of paving the way um, for for me you know like they're they're the ones that kind of grabbed my attention because they were kind of coming from the same same uh background or or place that i was you know like certainly could relate to to being a good old texas boy growing up and you know i mean dazed and confused i've seen how many hundreds of times because in high school that freaking movie was on repeat because mm-hmm. everybody in school was like, yeah, that's, that's us. Sure. It's the seventies, but that's, this is what we're doing, you know? And so, yeah, absolutely. That whole, that whole crew um, certainly was, was on the radar and one that I'd keep an eye out for. Like anytime he'd have a new show or whatever, like I would certainly be aware of it and ready to, to, to see it. It doesn't mean that when I got lost in the fog in college, I didn't lose sight of, of uh, office space and, and, (laughs) and not see it in the theater, but I certainly saw it uh, many, many times over after after uh, I did catch it. So Linkletter and, and uh, Rodriguez crawled so Brent could walk or That's, run. Yeah. Is that what you're sure. saying? You said it. <laughs> I, I couldn't say <laughs> Well, and, you know, as a filmmaker... Mike Judge uses a lot of the same themes in in his films over and over. You know, I think most, if not everything, well, obviously not Silicon Valley, but most of his projects are set in Texas. They have kind of, quote unquote, dumb characters sprinkled throughout, whether they're the main characters or they're supporting characters. Uh, He usually makes a cameo himself somewhere along the way, whether it's doing voices or he's the manager at Tchotchkes in Office Space. Yeah. And a lot of these people come from his real life background and, and even going back to Beavis and Butthead, peppering in some of, you know, the, the te- was it the teacher or the principal and, and the, the gym, you know, the gym coach and uh, you know, a lot of those, like you see that over and over. So he's got a lot of personal stories invested in, in his work. And uh, I don't know, it's something it's easy to identify with that kind of stuff because it feels, you know, where he's coming from, you know, even though I'm from New York, not from Texas, but I get what he's, I have my own versions of those characters. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, everybody does, right? Like they're, everybody's sort of relatable. I mean, uh, the opening credits of this movie that we're talking about office space is great because you get introduced 
to all the different characters, but in each interaction, like when I was rewatching it, I was like, oh yeah, like I can relate to that. And I know, you know, like that's, I, I, I've done that before. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's just like, I don't know, there's, there's bits and pieces, which I think is, is great. Right. Like that's yeah. kind of a sign of, of, of good writing. What did, uh, what did you guys, were you big Beavis and Butthead fans? Brent, you said you were already. Uh, David, how about how about you? Were you a not a big, but I mean, you know, back then it was easy to flip on MTV and if there were videos and whatever in real world and but if you and Butthead was on uh on a rerun or whatever, it it'd be great to just tune in and watch. But uh yeah, I I, I enjoy Beavis and Butthead quite a bit. I wasn't like a super fan or whatever, but you know, I've got my impressions. Uh, we all uh, we all imitated them and uh there were always great moments from it. And sometimes, man, just some of those videos they would do the commentary on. And and I get and it's funny to think it was Mike Judge doing both voices. Mm-hmm. Um and I goddamn, sometimes it would just be so funny. I mean, I, I haven't watched Beavis and Butt in a long time. And I think there is there a, a, a new incarnation from the it's last coming year. Back. Yeah. Yep. Or it's coming back. So That'd be fascinating to see those those teens uh, <laughs> looking at. It'll music be interesting today. to see how it plays. Yeah. Nowadays, I know? hope that they're. I hope they're the same age. Yeah, set I in think so. Present oh, yeah. day. I mean, not, you you don't want to see guy. them older. You know. No, who cares? No. Yeah, like they. <laughs> I'd like to see them fish story. out of water, maybe, or even if they were just tweaked to this generation. Uh, you know, watch imagine them watching Cardi B or something like that. You yeah. know what I mean? Like it'd be amazing. So uh yeah, that was it was a it was an interesting time being a fan of of them. Um I miss that. I miss that nineties, you know, the late eighties, early nineties MTV when it was it was must watch. You know, they had groundbreaking shows they had you know music videos were such a big deal that that remember when they were like it was a big deal when a when a new video was premiering and and you just you had to watch it at 805 that's that's when it was gonna hit (laughs) but uh beavis and butthead itself was a cultural phenomenon i mean that was huge a huge part of the 90s yeah absolutely I, i remember watching that with at dinner like with my parents and just looking at their faces they were just flabbergasted at what what is this and this is like how vulgar is it (laughs) uh it was it really hadn't been anything like that we were trying to explain to our kids what beavis and butthead were because we've shown them clips and they're like this is stupid like what what is this and we're explaining like at the time this was very, you know, anti-authority, very rebellious. Yeah. And being the age we were at, I think many of us identified with that. And they weren't even really around that long. I think, you know, this was all Mike Judge. It was, he wrote yeah. and, you know, directed and produced and did all, you know, almost all of the voices. Yeah. Well, I forget. So the first introduction of Beavis and Butthead was through like a short that he did called frog baseball, which I think aired on MTV. Liquid television, I liquid think television. Right. Yeah. I was going to say, cause there was like kind of a run 
There was there was this liquid television like Aeon Flux and yep. like and well like, Aeon Flux came from Liquid Television. It was right. a lot of these were shorts because it was <clears throat> excuse me those were all shorts. Yeah. Then and like Ren and Stimpy, like there were a couple other like Ren and Stimpy was also vulgar and mm-hmm. very you know like cartoon, but but also great like at a great animation show for a high school aged person to be watching at that time. I don't know if it would be great for young kids but well they had a i think they had an episode that was banned yeah yeah they did i'm sure they were too dangerous for for tv and for teens yeah yeah well Well, no yeah so many of those ren and stimpy beavis and butthead they were all you know they were they were problems (laughs) yeah i think i think it was uh you know beavis set fire to things and the kids set fire to things. And- well, animal abuse and oh yeah, I mean yeah. we were just we were just saying the first the first introduction to Beavis and Butthead was frog baseball, where they're yeah. literally like obliterating the a frog with a baseball bat. So yeah, it very subversive. Certainly, I guess. <laughs> it's a strong introduction. Yeah, but the I don't think Mike Judge was really prepared for the the scale that Beavis and Butthead was going to get to. And then, you know, within a couple of years, they did the movie Beavis and Butthead to America, which came out in 96. And by that point, he really wanted to get out of, get away from Beavis and Butthead because I, I think he didn't want to be, A, he didn't want to be painted into a corner. B, it was becoming just such a problem. There was constant battles he was in over the content. And I think didn't he make, just- Didn't they make a cameo in the Oscars? Oh, I'm sure they. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they did. Yeah, I could see that. You know, they were they were so popular. I mean, I don't know if they were more popular than The Simpsons. I mean, I, I think at a, at a point they were, or at least kind of parallel to them. Um, the Simpsons. I think probably more parents were okay with The Simpsons at times. The parents got were... real real okay with The Simpsons after Beavis and Butthead. Exactly. Came. Before yeah, Beavis I mean... and Butthead, they were like, "Oh, God, this is." Yeah. Terrible. We can't let our kids watch it. But then, where's Bart? We'll take Bart. Yeah, yeah Bart, dude. Bart saying, "Eat my shorts and underachiever <laughs> and proud of it." Like, yeah, that that's tame compared to Beavis and Butthead. Yeah, but he's, you know, I think Judge wanted to get away from that and and really kind of spread his wings as a filmmaker. And at the same time, you know, he's got a deal at Fox and Fox is churning out things like Titanic and big giant blockbusters. And they want some counter programming for that. So they, uh, who is it? Tom Rothman, I think had, uh, read the, he was the head of Fox and he, at the time loved the script. He thought it was the, like one of the best workplace, you know, satires that he'd read and thought it would be perfect a perfect low budget counter programming to to some of the bigger fare that they were releasing so uh so yeah so they gave him the green light to write the script and get get moving forward with it uh but it originated just to rewind for a second talking about liquid television he had started the idea for this film as four short films about called Milton right they were specifically about that character and had nothing to do with everyone else. It was just about that one character. They aired on liquid television. They also aired on Saturday night live at the time. And, you know, that was the impetus for, for the film. And they said, what, why don't you make a feature of that guy? And he sort of countered that 
with, well, yeah, but why don't we make it about where he works and the people he works with and not just him, that he's a yeah. character amongst other characters. I think Mike Judge said something along the lines of like, nobody really wants to see what Milton does by himself when he's at home. So, <laughs> yeah. so let's, let's yeah. check out, let's check out these other people. That, yeah. Cause that, that's where this movie gets real dark real quick is you shine too much of a light on Milton. Then, then you've got like a horror movie, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, like happening here. Yep. Mr. Lumberg told me to talk to payroll and then payroll, told me to talk to Mr. Lumberg, and I, I still haven't received my paycheck, and he took my stapler, and he never brought it back, and then they moved my desk to storage room B, and there was garbage on it, and um, I don't well, appreciate why, why don't you go back down and I, sit at your desk? Mr. Lumberg should be here I'm any talk minute. To Mr. Lumberg. We, just go sit it, at your desk, but, okay? Okay. It's, it's interesting how this movie really rides that line, because it's a movie that could go really, really dark, and it's dabbling in in some some of those subjects but just doesn't go all the way it just keeps it on the lighter side of all of that yeah uh do you guys have you guys seen the milton shorts i think they're back out the day there. back when they were airing but no, i don't i haven't looked at, i haven't looked at them in two decades yeah I have yeah been. it's uh you know it's very similar there's 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 a few differences but it's uh they're they're entertaining and interesting to watch for sure the red stapler was a key part part of it and blowing up the building and mm -hmm. all that i mean it's very it's the same character yeah yeah and that was so a lot of the characters in this film like we were talking about were inspired from real life people and and Mike Judge had worked uh you know temp jobs he had moved to California he worked in Silicon Valley I think that's where a lot of that show came from but he worked regular office jobs and beyond hated it I mean he he you know talked about having to alphabetize purchase orders and that's all you did that's you know so many office jobs are very mundane very boring uh you don't take any of the job home with you it's nine to five and you know that and a lot of people that's great that's what they're that's what they that's all they want that's all they need so yeah. uh but that wasn't for him and there was a character that he based milton off of that was the same very similar that they he had a meltdown in the office one day when they just they kept moving him. They kept moving his desk and and he just blew up one day. And then that was not literally, but uh, <laughs> that was the basis for Milton and kind of sprung the, the whole idea. Oh, I was going to say, the, the one thing in rewatching it that I thought stood out that doesn't I mean, I, I know we're probably jumping ahead here that doesn't really play. it. There's a lot of talk about like coming into the office with a gun and like shooting up the place and it's like whoa you know this was obviously 99 you know before uh this was like such a normal occurrence yeah sad to say but like going and watching it just recently that those parts really like stuck out as like out of place and and like not not they did not age well with with kind of everything that's happened since yeah and and that's no fault of the filmmaker in, in this particular case. I mean, that's just, you know, back then that wasn't a, a big thing. I mean, I think the postal worker shootings had happened, that had happened. a yeah. couple of times, but that was really it. You know, in the last 10 years or 
Actually, I had Columbine happened by this point. I think Columbine was, I thought it was oh, after this. Columbine was April 99. Yeah. So this is before that. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, you're right. You're looking at it from today's, you know, as we do on this show, we look at it from today's lens and it doesn't, I don't think it takes the film down per se, but it's, it is a glaring point that, Hey, this is kind of like okay to joke about here. Now yeah. it's not at all. So yeah, no. I just wonder. I just wonder how that is going to resonate with someone who hasn't seen it. Mm-hmm. You know, like a new viewer, like a younger audience. You know, with kind of today's sensibilities, like that would. Yeah, know, I think it. I think it points to. I, I think it points to just a more. <laughs> it's a weird way to say it, but a more innocent time where we could afford to joke about. You know. I mean, it's definitely a thing of like workplace murders happening. I mean, I remember in the 90s too of, and you know, they, they, they coined the phrase going postal is, right. is when you, you're going to, you're going to basically means you're going to go crazy. You're going to grab a gun. You're going to shoot everybody up. Um, they don't say they don't use that phrase in the movie, but that, that was the colloquial way to say, you know, yeah. workplace murders. And uh, I mean, these things happened, uh, you know, there were mass shootings, Oh, yeah. Certainly, certainly not what we see in the last twenty years in America, um, but enough had happened, and uh, yeah, it's so that's why it's a joke in the movie. Like it's something that kind of happened here and there. You would expect someone to kind of just lose their mind and shoot up the place, right? Um, so it's not like he invented it by any stretch. So no, absolutely um, not. And then right. looking at it now, it's it's almost like geez, it's 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 almost a it's almost it's just it's almost so innocent to just joke about these things that i mean you know every every incident like that is obviously extremely tragic and 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 alters the lives of many people um but the fact that on a pop culture way that we could joke about that as if it's okay it's um it it shows a, a lack of sensitivity to those things where you know now it's so commonplace in a sense but st- more deeply tragic at every event but more but way more commonplace than it was yeah and it's just sort of like we're well you know our hands are tied you know this is this is just the life we live um that i mean i cannot imagine doing a active shooter drill in school right no but that's been going on since early 2000s right i mean yeah since columbine i think yeah i mean I was I I can't even imagine that. I can't even imagine training for that as a well, kid. And I remember hearing about when our parents were in school that they would do those those bomb drills. Right. Duck and cover. Yeah. They'd go under their desks or whatever. And yeah. Uh I and I couldn't imagine doing that either. We sort of grew up in that time between all of that stuff. Yeah. Lucky us. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. That's true. So it's uh so yeah the the workplace the workplace comedy of like you know people fucking hate their jobs right and what you know you had your workplace comedies on TV um to, to, you know there's always a workplace comedy right so uh for for this movie to sort of take a a, a real look at how it kind of kind of sucks to be in the doldrums and the uh and how mundane this this work is. Uh, I think it was kind of a bold move because I don't think there was a lot of real commentary about working for being a mindless drone and a, yeah, how do you make light of that? Was. Yeah. 
Yeah. No, I, I can't think of a I can't think of a film before this that really focused on that. I think you had scenes and characters, and it was definitely observed that people hated their jobs and and but but it wasn't the focal point of the movie. This was yeah. really the project that I feel like changed that because the office was after this and then everything, right. so many things pattern themselves after the office. Yeah. yeah. The only other time I remember it in film is another great movie called Joe versus the volcano. And that, <laughs> right. Right. That opening kind of first 20 minutes, they focus kind of on the same. It's very same gray. It's very, yeah, very gray. gray. I, sw I swear we're going to, we're going to Brent. It's my promise to you that this year, at the particular, at the right time, we're going to cover Joe versus the volcano. The and classic you're, Joe versus you're, the volcano. Yeah, I can't wait. You are gonna, you're gonna take the lead on the entire show. I was afraid you're gonna say that. I may that's, just that's let too you. Too much pressure. It may that's just too be, much pressure, John. It may just be only you talking the whole time. We're not it's attending. Amazing. Brent presents. <laughs> Joe versus the volcano. It's just Brent doing. It. <laughs> just, it's it's just Brent in the studio that day. Joe, watch the movie. movie. It's great. no, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to that one for real. But uh, okay, let's let's talk about the. There's a large cast in this movie. There really isn't a star here in the movie. Sure, Ron Livingston's your your lead. But he was certainly wasn't a star at this point. Jennifer Aniston had to be your biggest name, but yeah. she was only a household name as far as television goes. I mean, the Friends phenomenon was right. happening, and obviously she was a huge name in that respect. Yeah. But it took her years to really get her her film career off the ground. You know, there there's always been a at least when we kind of got into the business, there was a view that films feature films sort of looked down on television that television just wasn't the same quality as films and there was a big discrepancy of the caliber of work that was being done obviously that's changed since you know the the mid late 2000s with the onslaught of HBO and AMC and Netflix and Amazon and all of those as they came up but and Kiefer yeah. Sutherland doing 24 19 in 2000 it's specifically that yeah well it is actually it's, that's a huge influence on well TV. well it was is yeah it? in the in the 2000s when major stars started taking roles on television is when yeah. that was and, and at the same time of the quality of cable yeah. uh I'd cable say, i'd say things branded. like the sopranos and oh, shows well, like that also fed into uh, into don't that. get me started brent don't get me started on this <laughs> look i know i know we, that this we, is a soft spot for you but like for real like sopranos yeah. was like a legit yeah appointment like, tv yeah coming out for for a television series to really you know people to take notice of right yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, after, after Arliss, after Arliss, there was nothing. You know, there was a vacuum, and The Sopranos <laughs> filled it. It's a fan of Dream On myself, but <laughs> hey, that was a great show that'll never see the light of day again. Yeah, what's up with that? You can't find it anywhere. It's all Music? it's all the rights. It's because oh, there's so God. many clips that they're never gonna go get the rights to the the clips and the music and everything. It's way too much money and too much work. So they're just it's a unfortunately it's a dead show. I'll have funny. to ask my friend Wendy Malik if she's got uh, the episodes on tape. If you she get, does, can you let me know? I'd love I'll let to her know. I'll see her out. on Monday. 
Cool. We'll get be. her on, on a conference on, call with Diedrich. And I, you if I can get Wendy and Diedrich on the line, it'd be fine. <laughs> and while you're at it, throw Bruce Campbell in there. Yeah, if just I can get sure. him. Just if you can get him. Just a, a, a four-way call and surprise, guys. You're <laughs> live. <laughs> you're live on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so Jennifer took years. You know, she had to take... She took. I remember her taking small a lot of small supporting roles like this one and she's the one where she's just really trying to get her foot in the door to start making films and then probably transitioning out of friends uh although and it would take a while i mean she did it all the way into like the late 2000s when she did uh cake and you know a few other uh, other independent ones that finally she started getting some kind of you know, respect in the, from the film world. And that was long after friends had ended, but, yeah. uh, but at the time, you know, it felt like she was sort of desperate just to, to get on any feature and get that career going again. I guess Leprechaun just wasn't, you, she wasn't going to carry her feature career off Leprechaun's back. No, she, but she worked a lot though. She, she, she did. Yeah. She worked a lot. She just wasn't in big studio, big budget things. Yeah. You know, unless you count Bruce almighty or along came Polly. I mean, you know, she was showing up. Yeah, but it took a little while to get there, you know. Sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah. But and so how do we feel about how she's portrayed in this movie? She's really the only female of of significance in the film. We see what Alexandra Wentworth in the beginning is is uh Peter's girlfriend who is just, you know, not not uh, shown in any positive light, but wh- how do you feel about jo- the Joanna character? I think I think she's like the conscience, right? Like she's she's you know like everybody's a little bit flawed in this movie. I think you know obviously she's not happy with her her job, but she's she's the one that toes the the moral line, right? Like no, that's that's stealing, you know. Like yeah, yeah. you can sugarcoat that any way you like, but that's stealing. It's still stealing. Absolutely. You know, like, I mean, I think, I think, uh, even though the part is not necessarily a large part, like, I think it's important to the, to obviously the object of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think for the most part, she's, you know, she's okay that, yeah, I agree. Like she's, she's sort of the conscience and, and she's got a, you know, and a lot of these movies, the, the women, the women characters are, are kind of flat. And there's really no depth to them. I think she's got a little bit here because you you know her whole Chachki's side of the story that you you see she's in a similar place as him, uh, a different right. setting, but she hates her job too. It's you know she's also dealing with a bullshit manager uh, yeah. and and coworkers, obnoxious coworkers. Well, and all that all that flair and all that like all that stuff was added into that part for her, right? To right. make her part bigger because she was bringing. Even though it was TV clout, she was bringing more clout to the to the movie than than most of the most of the cast, at least right. as far as recognize uh, recognizability. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She definitely brought some some name value for sure, and I'm sure there were at some point along the way friends, fans who tuned in just to see what she was doing here. But sure, I mean, I think a you know a, a large part of her character's role in the movie is 
is as a sex object though and whether who she has who, who she may or may not have had sex with and his peter's issues with with that sure yeah it's very classic uh classic old school kind of thing of she should be judged by who who her sexual encounters have have been with and her value as a person can, is either raised or lowered depending on the number of partners or quality of those partners um very it did felt very antiquated to yeah. want to watch it like oh yeah, yeah i remember, remember this kind of thing like yeah i mean listen uh, one of my favorite lines you can bleep it if you want but it's uh, when uh when he says a lumber fucked her like it's the f- i find that is just a really funny line just because it's so ridiculous uh I, I just, the cadence of it, everything about yeah. it, I just, is to me extremely funny. To, you know, not a, it's not the, it's not the content of the message that I find <laughs> funny, but it's just that this is how someone's talking yeah. about a person. Like, yeah, Lumberg fucked her. Like, <laughs> oh my god, I think it's hysterical. It's not, it's not good, but it's hysterical. Yeah, I, I, I agree. It, to me, that that was like the really besides the you know workplace violence aspect that was the only really area that kind of bumped me this time yeah it was like hmm, for sure yep that doesn't age so well it was either really weird to yeah. watch it again <laughs> it's hard you know in some of these like just seeing and this is not nearly as bad as as many of the others especially in, in the 80s and 90s of the objectifying women you know there's way worse offenders out there yeah. you know again at least there was there was some kind of depth to her character Granted, she's the only real female in the movie, but um, you know, there's a couple that have a few lines, but that's really it. Sure. Uh, but you know, I think a, a strong performance by her too. Yeah, I think of course. She made the most of uh, what she was working with. Yeah, she does a great job. She but did, yeah. the rest of the cast is this huge group of amazing character actors. That yeah. I, I mean, this is like an all-star group, a, a lineup here. You know, it to me, this is like. I don't know, pretty similar to like the quality of a group of like Christopher Guest kind of character actors. Right. Steven Root as as Milton is classic. I mean, obviously was the the launching point for for the film, but I mean, you didn't you the first time I saw it, I had no idea it was him. All right. Oh, yeah. just yeah, he's so he's so well, and from what I understand and reading some stuff is like he really, from from the shorts, which I did not see to 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 the movie, like he really put some more thought and time into the character, really evolved the character, and like it became iconic based off you know the the nuance that he added in in this portrayal, right? Mm-hmm. So like, um, yeah, it's. Milton's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm assuming Mike Judge did the voice of the cartoon or he did the voice in the cartoon. Yeah. 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 Uh the swing line stapler was uh became a a I don't know, like a, a incredibly popular office uh object. I mean I, I every office job, you know, production job that I've done since then, the the swing line stapler was mentioned yeah well, yeah. well it's my understanding that they never swingling never made a red stapler before right. this movie right so and that yeah was... they just the one in the movie they just painted red yeah no yeah no. 
and then it became a thing. And yeah, because swing line is iconically that black heavy steel stapler with the white and bezel or, you know, uh, emblazoned, you know, etching. So yeah, that uh, they, they, they created, the, you know, this movie created a whole new market for staplers. Yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> a, unbelievable. But he's, you know, buried in this character that the, the hair, the makeup, the glasses, you know, the mustache, like his body movement. I mean, it's, it's an amazing performance. And, and he's had Stephen Root before this was just all over TV. He had a lot of small roles and features, but was never, you know, I think news radio was right. was like the first, that was the first time I remember seeing him in a significant right. role. Yeah. I think that's his biggest role at the time and mm-hmm. all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I loved him in news radio. I loved the Phil Hartman years of news, news radio, but uh you know, seeing him here and then obviously since this point, he's had amazing role after amazing role between the Coen Brothers films and Barry and I'll say Perry Mason and, and all the other projects he's done <laughs> are uh, <laughs> uh, just great actor and uh, a lot of respect for him. I want to switch over to so. I want to talk about these two specific actors, Stephen Root and the other one being David Herman, uh, before we get to everybody else, because they were the only two actors cast in the original, the original cast for this movie. So David Herman, Brent, were you a fan? Did you watch Mad TV? You know, I've never really been a big fan of the sketch TV stuff like that. So no, I didn't, I didn't watch. I mean, I had seen a handful of episodes, but I couldn't have, I mean, this movie is kind of the first that I that I recognize uh, Dave Herman from, you know. Um, well, I mean, yeah, you you wouldn't have recognized them from anything else because he pretty much did Mad TV, this, and then he went into voiceover world ever and where he's been ever since. Right, so. and that's that's where I worked with him. So right. he did he did a voice in one of the first movies I worked on when I moved out to LA. So he, uh, but but. And I, when he came in to do that audition, I knew who he was and it was very exciting. But he does a lot of writing. I mean, he's just, he does a bunch of stuff mm-hmm. in entertainment, but just not a lot of acting in front of the camera. Yeah, yeah. Mad TV was an interesting show that I loved the first couple seasons. And, and that was the seasons that he was on. And apparently it was a nightmare to work on. And he couldn't get out of his contract and the the rumor is that during a table read he started screaming all of his lines right to, to the fired. point yeah so he, he just got himself fired and was very happy to leave that show it was um a lot of people saw mad tv in the later seasons which i just thought were not amusing at all it felt very scripted and very it just it didn't feel genuine at all, and the early years did, and it was an entirely yeah. different cast. Maybe one or two people stayed, but uh, the years with him were were really good. So it was it was cool to see him show up in this movie. But then that was really that was really it for live action stuff for him. Yeah, uh, David, what did what did you think of Mad TV? Were you a fan? I watched it here and there. Um, no, but I was not a regular uh, con- uh, viewer of Mad TV, but. No, there's things about it. Sure. Good fun. You know, 
It, and it's probably better than I think it's always it was always better than I thought it was. That's kind did, of my opinion. Do you remember the early years with David Herman or you are you did you enjoy it? Because I wasn't a big fan of the later years. So, yeah, I mean, the thing is, I didn't recognize David Herman uh, really. Yeah, no, I don't. I remember I know that he was on it, but no, I don't I don't have a, an affinity or a love for for all of it. So. You know, Mike Judge struggled with casting this movie in the startup. So the original, you know, these were the only two actors, Stephen Root and David Herman, that were from that first group of whoever else he had cast in this movie. I, I have not really seen who who was in that original group, but they apparently had a read through that just went really badly. And he wanted to he wanted to just stop the movie. Like he almost yeah. was like, "We're not going to do this movie. This movie's never going to be good." Yeah. And the studio Fox is pushing him. They're like, you have to at least make an attempt to get bigger name actors. They're not going to do it, but you got to try to get them because you never know. Someone may, for whatever reason, Bruce Willis did Pulp Fiction and look what happened right. and look what happened to his career after that. But uh, so they, he made an attempt to go after Matt Damon and Ben Affleck for roles in this movie. Huh. Oh yeah, a little post uh, Goodwill Hunting. Love. Absolutely, yeah, it was, was right. Yeah, yeah it was something. right after that. Yeah, everybody wanted Ben Affleck and Matt Damon after Goodwill Hunting. Everyone. Do you think they would have worked in this movie? Be interesting. Not the same, but yeah. I th I think part of what makes this movie work so well is that these guys are aren't known faces, you know, at the time that they're they're new, they're fresh faces and you know, you don't associate them with anything. Yeah. Yeah. I think Matt Damon's pretty, he can be pretty funny, but sure. I, uh, but yeah, I think, I think coming off the success of Goodwill Hunting, they'd have been too recognizable. Yeah. And, and based off the subject matter where of Goodwill Hunting coming into something like this, like I think audiences would have been surprised by the, the change in, in tone. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I don't like my job, and uh, I don't think I'm going to go anymore. You're just not going to go? Yeah. Won't you get fired? I don't know. But I really don't like it, and uh, I'm not going to go. <laughs> so you're going to quit? Nuh-uh. Not really. Uh, I'm just going to stop going. So, you know, while while he's going after or, you know, making an attempt to approach them, Ron Livingston's agent pops in and he auditions for the part and, and Mike Judge loves him and feels like he's perfect. And he was. He's great as Peter. Um, I, you know, at the time, I only knew him from Swingers. And I think he did a show, a sitcom called That's That's Life, I think it was called. Yeah. So is that where someone was a ghost? I think so. Yeah. Oh, I might have seen that. Yeah. So you're a sitcom guy. I like sitcoms. I might have watched that. I, I sadly was a huge fan of Swingers. I know that Ron Livingston was in it, obviously, but I, up until Band of Brothers, I would always get Ron Livingston confused with Kyle Chandler. Oh, I don't my know God. why. They're, like, oh, I wow. always get those two guys confused. Yeah. I mean, they might as well be brothers. Yeah. Kyle Chandler Livingston. That's his real name. Yeah, that's there it is. That makes <laughs> so sense. we just solved it. <laughs> yeah. Band of Brothers and Friday Night Lights cleared it up for me. But until then, like I was like, oh yeah, that guy's in it. No, no, he's not. Oh. 
Ron Livingston's an interesting uh I don't know, he's a he's a I think he's great here. I, I don't think he's like the greatest actor in the world, but he fit like when he fits, he fits. And he slides right in here. He's great in Band of Brothers. A few other roles I think he really stands out in. I've seen a lot that I didn't really enjoy him in either. Uh, because it wasn't like like I don't buy him as like a cop or like an FBI right. guy and that kind of That's thing. That's when you need Kyle Chandler to step in. <laughs> exactly. And let him do one, one, one or the other. Between the two of them, they got every part covered. <laughs> uh, but he's great here. I mean, he's uh, he's you know he's charming. He's funny. He can be serious and dramatic too. I think he's he just he seems to work uh, great in this role. Yeah, um, I think phenomenal in this role actually. As as kind of a uh, the super laid back, aloof. I don't really you know like whatever guy. Like he he really, I think he nails it. Mm-hmm. Uh, another uh, part of the. Uh group here is Ajayna Naidu, I think is how you pronounce it, but uh, who plays Samir. Mm. Another actor, I mean, God, I I didn't know him at all before this. I definitely knew him from his appearance in season two of The Sopranos afterwards, but (laughs) (laughs) I feel like also, you know, he's kind of faded away and and, uh, he's he's great as a sort of desperate character who's just um you know also just super frustrated with their job but doesn't really like he needs the job so he's willing to stay there forever yeah oh he was in vice versa also anyone remember that classic that uh fred savage is that and judge reinhold classic yeah yeah Yeah. He was in that. Yeah, he's uh, there's a gap in his career from like '88 to '96, so you know he must have he must have been a child actor. Yeah, I was gonna say he had to be like Fred Savage age at yeah, that. Probably, probably one of. He would have been a kid. Yeah, in the school or something. But all right, man, I'm gonna have to go back and watch that now. <laughs> you definitely have to. <laughs> I'm not gonna be able to sleep. It's a must I watch. watch. That movie again. I loved Vice Versa as a kid. I watched it maybe two years ago, and I got about twenty minutes in, and I was out. Really, yeah. I love. Yeah. I used to love all those movies, like Father, like Son, yep. Eighteen Again. Well, right. my biggest problem with Vice Versa was Judge Reinhold. I mean, he's he's <laughs> terrible. And really, yeah, it's unfortunate. We're uh, we're sidebarring, but let's talk yeah. about David. Is do you have Diedrich on the line yet? No, I'm I'm trying to raise him. I think we're gonna get him in the next ten minutes. Okay, all right. Uh, he's great in this. This is uh, I I think I only knew him from the Drew the Drew Carey show was on by this point, right? Didn't it come on ninety seven, ninety six, ninety five, ninety yeah yeah I mean, something like that. Absolutely. Uh, he's great as Lawrence, who's uh, Peter's kind of nosy but happy and content neighbor. Yeah, yes, that's that's another character that came from somebody that Mike Judge knew that he had a neighbor that was uh, a mechanic that could work whatever hours he wanted to work and was just really happy with him his life that you know he, he didn't really have to answer to the corporate world and uh, I think Judge sort of respected him for that and and brought that character to life here and Dietrich is. Uh, I don't know. D- Diedrich Bader's had so many of these good, small, bizarre characters 
Uh, and I yeah. think that's where he excels at. I, I mean, I even I loved him in Veep years later. Oh yeah. And that mustache and mullet, you know, you can't <laughs> can't ever go wrong with that combo. That mustache is legit. <laughs> I love how he just hears everything through the wall. Like, yeah. He just, you know, he knows everything that Peter's doing. Yeah. I thought I remembered, didn't, am I misremembering the movie? Does he end up at the end with Peter's original girlfriend? Did I make yeah. that up? Because I, 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 it was one of those things that I remember. It's like the uh, Shazam movie thing that oh. <laughs> everyone thinks exists but doesn't. Mandela, oh. The Mandela effect? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I swear at the end of the movie, like, he is dating uh, Peter's first girlfriend. Are they not? Is there not, like, a cut scene at the end of the credits where maybe. he's, like, in bed with... Her and another lady. Yeah, like, maybe there is. Maybe maybe it's a. Where he's living scene. his best life, I guess. Yeah. His billion dollar life. Yeah. Um, how about Gary Cole? So we mentioned him already, but Lumberg to me, Lumberg is the other. You know, is the iconic character along with Milton coming out of this movie and the stapler. Yeah. Oh yeah, I ask people about TPS reports all the time. Hello, Peter. What's happening? Um, I'm going to need you to go ahead and come in tomorrow. So if you could be here around nine, that would be great. Okay. Oh, oh, and I almost forgot. Uh, I'm also going to need you to go ahead and come in on Sunday, too. Okay. We uh, lost some people this week, and uh, we need to sort of play catch-up. Thanks. <laughs> Everybody's got a lumber. Everybody. Yeah. <laughs> well, especially after this movie got popular, you know, yeah. uh, there was such a, uh, I don't know. So there were so many impressions being done of him, and, and it, it was he's such a great character that it, that asshole boss that we've all had somebody like that that just toes the company line is really i mean just sort of a jerk you know about it too and just cocky and does not care about you really is just like getting done yeah, whatever no. he needs to get done yeah it's really depressing when you realize you are lumberg <laughs> and then we <laughs> and we become lumberg yeah, yeah. that's uh, I mean, and he's got he's got a belt. Have you know like there's a lot of details in his character that Belts, I'm not sure if they came from the costume designer or him, but the belt pants. and suspenders, like yeah, you don't really need both, but he Those does. Pants are not gonna fall down. <laughs> and of course, he drives a Porsche. Yeah. Uh, and you know, he he just has that upper, you know, that that higher quality dress shirt, you know, with the nice collar and the nice mm -hmm. cuffs and all of that. So he he's exuding a, a place of power, even you know, just as he walks around with his coffee mug. You don't actually see him do any work no. in the movie. No, he's just the well, boss. He man, no, he gets called out. He gets called out. He does. Yeah. Oh, the bobs. Uh, oh, the bobs. At this point, he was uh, he was in. 
the series of Midnight Caller. He was in the Brady. He was Mike Brady in the Brady Bunch movies. I remember him on a show called American Gothic. And then we also talked about him a month prior to this when A Simple Plan came out. Yes. So welcome back, Gary Cole. It's good welcome. to have you back. Uh, but yeah, I was I was a fan of his uh, going into this, but really like. I mean, I didn't like love the guy or anything. It was after this that like I would watch anything he did. Yeah, no, this was that that this was this was star making for I think a lot of people for him. You know, this was not a movie that 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 was a box office thing, but it became such a cult hit that I think there's so many moments in this movie, including stuff that Lumberg says uh, that that just enter the lexicon. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, we have we owe a we owe a lot to Office Space guy. We we do as a culture yeah. we owe a lot to Office Space. I think that that popularizing how people say, yeah I'm gonna need you to come in and do this and yeah. all of that. I mean that's definitely a thing you just say sometimes. I think for yeah I don't know it's just it's just part of it. Yeah uh, yeah I'm gonna need you to come in and <laughs> on Saturday. <laughs> you know I had an idea like that once. A long time ago. Really? What was it, Tom? Well, all right. It was a jump to conclusions, Matt. You see, it would be this mat that you would put on the floor and would have different conclusions written on it that you could jump to. Richard Riley's another character actor that's been all over TV commercials, features. Uh, who plays uh, Smike Smikowski? Is that how you say it? He's the uh, Miskowski or what's yeah. his name? Uh-huh. The jump to conclusions, Matt. Right, right, right. Genius. So terrible. <laughs> so great. And that that the scene where he tries to commit suicide and fails, but then gets in that horrible car crash. Yeah. Like, oh, just hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. The scene where he's explaining the jump to conclusion, Matt, he is so good in that. He is so excited to share this idea that he thinks is just genius, you know, and it is painted all over his face. I loved watching that. And he ends up, you know, he gets almost killed, but uh, I guess you'd say financially successful at the end. He's happy. Yeah. He's he, happy. Found, he got seven figures. You know, he, he's found, his, he found his pet rock. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, it's all he was looking for. Uh, John C. McGinley. Another guy. Love yeah. John. I've always loved him. Um, he was a, I think he was in almost every Oliver Stone movie for a long period of time. I don't think he's been any of the recent ones, but I think everything in the eighties and nineties, he, that stone directed, he shows up in yeah. um, whether it's a small part or a bigger part, but you know, he was in that those, he was in Highlander two, which is an American mm. classic. <laughs> I didn't realize that it's <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> if you thought Highlander is great. Highlander two just takes it to a whole new level. Yeah. But it takes it to uh, 11. Yeah. Uh, the Rock. I remember, you know, seeing him in The Rock and thinking that, like how much he yeah. bulked up for that role. Yeah. And then the office or an office space right after that. He's he's great. He was almost Lumberg. So. The, so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He auditioned, right? I think 
he probably could have also pulled that role off too. I'm glad it went to Gary Cole, but I'm I'm glad they found something else for him to do here. He's great. I don't know. He just brings an intensity. I don't know that it would have worked as Lumberg for me. Like Lumberg, the way that he's like kind of casually an asshole is is like I think what helps really play that that part up for me. But mm. but you know. McGinley, he's always like right on the cusp, you know, like he performs on a razor's edge, like everything he just split second feels like he could snap. Like there's just all this intensity. I mean, mm-hmm. I, he's great in this. I love him in scrubs. I'm a big fan of, yeah. of that show. And he was awesome in, yeah. in that. And it's the same thing. Like he's just got this like snap to him that you're like okay he could be great or he could be your worst enemy you know like uh and i and i love that about his his performances well he's very intense he, right. he's got a, you know an intensity that he carries with him that yeah may not have worked in a, in a role like lumberg's but definitely works in scrubs and then here his job is to come in and review everybody so it, it makes sense for him to be that uh that intense and uh, and apparently he's got a love for Michael Bolton. And who doesn't? <laughs> he celebrates his entire catalog. <laughs> so many great lines in that 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 scene where he flips and and, and just how he despite like that one the last shot of that scene where he corrects him and says, Well, you can call me Mike Mike Bolton. And then that look on his face, and you yeah. know, nope, you just you just <laughs> lost him. Sorry. <laughs> oh yeah, he's <laughs> Oh, the scene. Oh man. The scene where Lumberg is in the office talking to the Bobs and they're telling, they're talking to him about Peter. Mm-hmm. And the, obviously the Bobs have now fallen in love with Peter. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and Lumberg's like, yeah, I don't think I agree with you. And they're just, they start ripping into him. Like, I mean, the performance there is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, there's a lot of great turns in that scene. Yeah. And it's, you know, the, the whole movie's cut well, but it's on those moments where, you know, it just flipped and then we cut away from it. So like, you don't, you don't really get to see what happens next. You don't get to see them really turn on Lumberg, but right. you know, it happened. So right. um, the movie, so the, the script is interesting to me that it, it really, it's not just about what happens in the office. I mean, the whole plot starts, you know, we see Peter and how much he hates his existence and his life, but then we get this weird, you know, subplot that kickstarts the rest of the movie, which is about, you know, where he's under hypnosis. <laughs> like, and that's really what turns him to rejecting his life and, and his boring job and just doing what he feels like doing, that he's under hypnosis when the doctor dies of a heart attack. <laughs> and he's just now lives in this relaxed this permanently relaxed non-stressed state which (laughs) drives everything else all the other choices that they make and then we go back to the office we see them coming in and and uh, reviewing everybody's performances as they're what are they being remind me the reason of why they're the the why that's happening at, at the office why they're doing all the job reviews it's well, for downsizing. They're they're cutting the shaft. Right. Of, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So they're efficiency experts, right? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, get looking, rid of the redundancies. Looking to find right. the redundancies so yeah. that they can eliminate them. 
of which it seems like there are many, like there are at most corporate jobs that you have a lot of people doing either the same thing or like one thing like yeah. R- Richard Riley's character that, uh, you know, yeah. <clears throat> he doesn't I'm actually a people person. Yeah. yeah. He like sure, receives buddy. calls from customers, but that's kind of it. And then, so why can't the customers just call the people who actually do the work and eliminate his job? And then he goes nuts, sort of. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which is great. But yeah, it seems like all of these guys really, you know, many of them could and are going to be cut. So, but but then we get to sort of act three where it becomes a, a heist movie, sort of. Yeah. Uh, yeah, basically. Uh, Three Stooges heist movie. But yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Where they're going to, you know, deposit a, a, a decimal of, uh, you know, a, a fraction, fraction, a fraction of a percent into a, 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 their own account. And then overnight, it's, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars. And very quickly, that's going to grow and grow and grow. So, you know, they, they expected that the court, the company wouldn't notice that little amount of money being gone from every transaction. But when suddenly it's like a few hundred thousand dollars, like they're definitely going to notice that. Yeah. But I don't know. Decimal point. Yeah. Does that, does that plot line flow with the rest of the movie to you guys? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. They're, they're, they're getting, they're, I mean, they plant the revenge. Yeah. And they plant the seed earlier in the movie, you know, I mean, they, It's a throwaway line, but they're like, he's like, oh, Michael, you're always, you know, what's that, what's that plan you always talk about, you know? Mm-hmm. And and he's like, you know, if I really wanted to, I could stick it to him. And yeah, yeah. You know, like they plan it early on. So when it evolves to that, it feels feels right. I mean, it feels just silly enough to fit fit well. Yeah, yeah there's they're software guys, so you, you, we don't have to witness them doing software programming. You know, we we get we keep, we get enough hints and and information throughout, mm-hmm. yeah, until it happens. Yeah. Well, and and that scam has been done before, right? Like, right. I, and mm-hmm. and they even reference it in the movie that it's been done before, right? And yeah. So you know, like, yeah, I buy it. Yeah, it's uh for for me. I don't know. It, it's not like as uh, significant of a shift as like from dusk till dawn, <laughs> but it's, it is right. sort of a right turn of like, Oh, this, okay. We're, we're just, we're just going another direction now, which is fine. And it does work for the movie. It just, well, I, I remember the first time I saw it, it was a little jarring. Well, if they came in and it was like the bank robbery scene from heat, I'd <laughs> yeah. be like, yeah. yeah, this is weird, but I don't know. It all just sort of kind of flows. Yeah. For me, and it all it all kind of comes together at the end, and and makes it. I, I love how it circles back to like Milton's role that you see that sort of. That's the big payoff is that he ends yeah. up burning the office down, and all the evidence of you know what they had done goes up in flames. Yeah, right. Well, and he apparently finds the check and has found himself a nice little pina colada place. And yeah, work. yeah, yep, <laughs> yeah. I love that. Everyone sort of has their happy ending because they've got, you know, he's he's back. Peter's back with Joanna and he's got his just regular guy, you know, job is on a construction site. He doesn't yeah. have to really answer to anybody. Working he does with what Lawrence. he wants. Yeah. With Lawrence that uh, they're, you know, work together. And then 
Michael and Samir are, you know, have another corporate job. That's all they wanted. And, and they're, they're good. Inatech is gone. We don't know what happens to Lumberg, but Milton's on a, a tropical Island living off of uh, that check, I guess, for the rest of his life. Yeah. What's, um, what's your favorite, what, what are some of your favorite moments in the movie? There's so many like, popular scenes and 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 memorable moments would you guys have a have a favorite or two no lumberg fucked her the uh the o-face uh that's interesting that's funny i like that that was referenced a lot back in the day what about the printer scene yeah i was gonna say i mean that printer scene for sure the juxtaposition of all the all the great like what you know west coast gangster rap on top of these white texan dudes like just a great soundtrack that Mm -hmm. you know all the scenes it it was it was yeah there was an auditory like sort of revelation to rewatch it all from the opening scene to you know throughout and putting this hardness on these guys who are absolutely the milk toast weak people that they are uh is so funny and and works so well uh comedically um yeah i love that yeah the scene of of David David Herman in his car at the beginning, listening to the gangster rap, and then it gets to like you know some offensive language, and he's like turning it down because he doesn't want the dude selling the newspapers outside his car to hear. Yeah. He's yeah. like, yeah, it's classic. It's great. Yeah, that's that's a great moment. I I love. Uh, I don't know. I I love the the PC load letter. Yeah, but, like not yeah. not them destroying the printer, but him. Yeah. Like, a lot of what? the printer scenes are great. Yeah, yeah. PC love letter. Paper jam. What paper jam? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because yeah. we've all been there for sure. Yeah, absolutely. What uh, does PC... who's worked an office job? Yeah, exactly. What you know, does not... PC load letter mean? I mean, it means load letter paper, but what does PC mean? Uh, I don't know, David. You get 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 the. Uh, team I used on. to know. I used to know the answer to that. Well, uh, your office only has printers from 1997 in it, so yeah, absolutely. I'm sure you, your team uh, knows what what that's like. Yeah, uh, the the Nazis had pieces of flair that they put on the Jews. <laughs> oh, like, god. oh my god, like the, that's, <laughs> that's when you could joke about the Nazis. I think, um, yeah. but I forgot about that line watching it again. But <laughs> but it's such a classic line in that it's one of those things that's yeah. that you say when you're in the heat of the moment, like. Yeah. fighting with a loved one and you're just like what that's so offensive and so yeah. shitty like why would you say that you know yeah there's the and it's still it's something like even today it's w- once you accuse somebody of being nazi like you really can't take that back that no is, uh, there's no there's no going back from that so it, it is still an extreme thing you know no matter how much it gets tossed around because there are real nazis everywhere uh in america but uh, you know, we. I mean, I I don't think I like. Uh, there were so many Hitler and Nazi jokes, quote quote unquote, in eighties, nineties, two thousands, and it was just like I, like how subversive do you think you're being with your Nazi jokes mm-hmm. and your Hitler jokes and references and stuff? But that joke fucking lands. <laughs> I think yeah. it's yeah. I really. They had a piece. Of, they had pieces of flair. I mean, have um, the Nazi have the Nazi jokes stopped? I mean, Jojo Rabbit is kind of like, w- wait a second. I mean, in well, that movie, I, it's yeah. funny. Well, it's not really a joke. Yeah. No, it's not. But no. it's yeah, hard. But is it's, it out of? Is it out of? I mean, it's not in good taste. 
Honestly, if you want to like think about it. But... Yeah, it's I, I I guess, yeah. That's a whole separate subject. That's a different <laughs> yeah. episode. That's not <laughs> joking. I mean, that's a that's a whole different thing than what I would, you know. Well, it's yeah, an intriguing I, take on on using Hitler as a character and sort of a concept for in this kid's imagination. Right. But yeah, it's uh that's very much walking the line. Yeah. That's well done. I mean, yeah. the movie is very good. But but way back know. in 99 with yeah. office space different different kind of Nazi different jokes. thing. It would be very different. <laughs> um yeah, what the other scene that I the other moment I love is when they're that sort of montage of when they load the virus in. Yeah. Into yeah. the system and they're like handing off the, the disc to each other and yeah. how silly that would look from an outsider just watching them do this. Like yeah. Like they think they're being so cool and slick, but they actually look super dorky, probably without that <laughs> yeah. music. And yeah. uh great that's a great great moment but the 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 highway the scene on the highway the freeway with in traffic uh brent like you were mentioning that was that might be my all-time favorite from the movie yeah yeah um when the when the bob's telling him like you've been listening missing a lot of work and he's well i haven't exactly been (laughs) missing it bob and it's that's almost like the uh the rushmore like those are my or scrubs oh are they like just uh (laughs) it's got the same cadence to it i think Yeah. yeah It's a quick little funny little joke. I love that. <laughs> uh, uh, so many, so many great lines and and uh, you you know, scene after scene of just, I mean, it's just funny. It just works. So much of it works. Uh, watching it this time, I was thinking about how the movie shot and how the production design of the movie. It feels very flat. You know, there's really not of. I don't know. Not, not that the shots aren't interesting, but it's very like just straight on, very simple cinematography, not a lot of crazy yeah. lighting or camera moves. Um, but I think that, and I always attributed that to his, it being his first real, you know, live action film and not really knowing how to employ those techniques yet. Yeah. But I think it works in that this is Peter's life, that it's very boring and very mundane and exactly what he's trying to change. So seeing sort of that entire world and the, the kind of gray overcast day that seems to be present almost through the entire movie works in that towards that end. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's not a, you know, yeah, it's not a cinematic lifestyle that they're leading. So they're not, they're not going to shoot it cinematically, you know, yeah. they're just going <laughs> to, it's very simple. They don't have the time to shoot kind of crazy. Um, but it would, t- it would take you out of like sort of the mundane and, and the unreality of it. Mm-hmm. Um, that it, That's there. But uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm with you on that. I, I think sh- shooting it simply conveys everything that the, the tone of the script is there to tell you. Uh, out of, out of all the characters who is uh pick one favorite. If you had to choose one, Brent, who's uh your number one number one character in this movie? I like Lawrence. I figured that that's that's a very you character. Yeah, I like Lawrence <laughs> a lot. Um, I think Brent, I think when we first got to school, like you were my Lawrence. Fair. That's fair <laughs> that, enough. 
Was that you? Was that you? Brian? Especially with the when mullet, I had, too. When I had hair, yeah. Or <laughs> I was holding on to the last few strands of it. <laughs> uh, David, what about you? Who's your guy? Uh, uh it's it's i i like michael bolton and uh but i i do like peter a lot i'd like i really like watching peter so i like him as the straight man throughout all of it even though i mean he's got he's his own thing but yeah i don't know there's so many yeah yeah those are my guys i like watching around livingston work on this one yeah i'm going lumberg yeah lumberg, i could i yeah. could do i could do a spin-off with just lumberg yeah called yeah. lumberg <laughs> i think that works yeah uh all right you want to talk a little box office let's see how the movie did yeah so it uh it comes out february 19th 1999 uh a 10 million dollar budget to make this one it uh is not a not a hit when it comes out not not a hit on first release it uh had a $4.2 million opening weekend. It opens up number eight between She's All That and Rushmore, who had been in theaters for like, you know, well over a month at that point. Um, it, it opened up against October Sky and Jawbreaker. It ends up at number 120 uh, from the year of 1999 between mm-hmm. Cookie's Fortune and The Astronaut's Wife. So it's buried way down there at the bottom it totals out at a 12 about a 12 million dollar run excuse me so that's a very little profit on this one yeah would you say the budget was is like 10 10, did you 10 million yeah yeah not a lot not a lot so and and there's a there's a lot of problems i mean they right when it started screening they knew there was going to be issues they you know, judge had to fight to keep, keep the gangster rap in. He had to, you know, fight the studio on, on a number of things. The marketing is really was very low to begin with. And there was arguments over who should be on the poster, what it should be, whether Jennifer Aniston should be on it or not. And the studio without his sign off, without Mike judge's sign off released the, that poster of a guy buried in post-its. Yeah, which right. awful, awful, and tells you nothing about the movie, other than it's about the workplace, and it's it's more than that. It's it's set in there in there, but it's not just about that. And then on the DVD release, they just added Milton, like looking from behind the Post-it guy. I always and, interpreted the guy in the Post-its as Milton. Yeah, so did I. That's who I always thought it was. Right, I did too. And then the DVD came out, and it was like. You know he's hiding behind him. Who's yeah. the guy under the post-its? Peter. It's got to be Peter, right? No way. That guy's too lumpy to be Peter. <laughs> and Peter doesn't wear a tie in the movie at all. A lot of people think it's Big Bird. <laughs> Fair <Right>. enough. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, John C. McGinley said that, you know, if he saw that poster, he would not go see that movie. Yeah. And I think uh, I'd like right. to see. I'd like to see the the Mike Judge cut for the poster yeah 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 i mean you want to show all these cool care these these interesting and awesome characters that you have populating your movie like you that's what you want to show can you imagine so, a drew struzan with all these colorful characters oh my yeah. god has we there not, has he not done one or he, somebody I, like that how much do you think we'd have to pay him about ten thousand dollars maybe to put something together should we i'm gonna pool i our have money? his I have Drew's address. I'm going to write a letter 
to him. Please Just, do an office space with all our favorite characters. Yeah. He will do it. I was lucky enough to work with Drew on another one of the movies that I worked on and he Yes, you were. He, he did a Shit. he did a special one-off uh poster for our for our movie. He unfortunately got sick halfway through so he couldn't finish the poster for for public release, but he created like a uh, limited run for for the crew, which is awesome. Do you have a digital version of that or uh, yeah, I, I mean, I can find it online and and oh, copy of it so you can take a look. If at it. it's out there, yeah, it is. I, I've I've seen it online. Oh, all right. He's he's my number one poster guy. I know. Sure. Uh, but imagine, yeah, imagine you ma- imagine like all those characters just oh. doing their oh my yeah. god, just painted in like, there. Like I I see it like a better off dead. You know the better off dead poster where they're all kind of sitting on on the bridge, mm. like all the characters there. Something like that. I could see that definitely. Mm. Mm-hmm. uh yeah no that it it this is yeah it it is a funny thing like not that a different poster would have meant like it would make a hundred million dollars but it's certainly like it's very obvious when a poster just kind of fails to 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 be part of the marketing in a, in a cohesive way and this is mm-hmm. one of those uh like scott pilgrim versus the world great fantastic movie unbelievably great movie poster is complete trash it yeah. just absolutely conveys nothing about the tone of the film mm-hmm. what goes on in it and it's just a complete failure from start to finish well yeah i mean the marketing is obviously a huge part of what is going to make a movie successful or not and i have i've had a big problem with i guess since probably since the, the last 20 years or so that posters are, you know, when they made this shift from the eighties and early nineties uh, moving away from the Drew Struzan style of posters and having the poster sort of tell your story to just actors faces. Right. You know, by the time you get to mission impossible Two, I remember it was like, Oh, it's just Tom Cruise. Okay. Oh, it's just Harrison Ford's in this movie. It's just his face and not, you look at especially the Struzan ones, but even posters like, like field of dreams like you get a sense of the movie from the poster like you get the the, it matches the tone of the movie and this says and so many others just don't they don't say anything it doesn't give you anything to go off of yeah yeah it's, it's weird so but thankfully the movie found a life on home video uh where you know David, I guess you didn't discover it, but you rediscovered it, and Brent and I discovered it. Yeah, so that you know, when we discovered the film, like so many others, when it hit video, and and it was in two thousand, two thousand one, that that cult status of the movie really started to to kick in, and you know, I, I think as DVD became more popular, and it was a different way for people to get, you know, I guess it was before streaming, but. Um, the word of mouth really started going around that this this is uh, requires another look and and it really blew up. I mean, it, it uh, you know sent especially Stephen Root, Gary Cole, who had been around for a long time already. It really sent their career just to the next level. Yeah. Thank God that they got even better roles, you know, after this. Yeah, I mean those are those are, those are pros who've been doing it. I mean that's the thing. Like all your character actors from this, I mean they're they're not. There's only a few fresh faces in here, really. If you go from a from Livingston to Aniston, you know, but mm-hmm. the rest are people that have been 
steady working actors, comedic actors know what they're doing for a very long time. So there's a lot of strength in those folks, right? Um, that that carry you know a lot of this, and uh, you know it it and it's funny it, this workplace comedy thing. You know, it's not it's it's not even that funny uh, in terms of it being a workplace. It's sad, right? Like, isn't this mm-hmm. like isn't it just kind of sad that this yeah. is. This this is not much of an exaggeration, I think, for for cubicle uh, cubicle jockeys. Um, I think there would be. I mean, this there's a reason that Dilbert, which probably launched in what ninety ish, mm-hmm. I don't know, late eighties, early nineties, that strip was immensely popular for so long. About how you know working in a company in a cubicle in a office space that is with bosses who don't know what they're doing everyone all these mediocre people in charge of teams of people and it it was it's hard and then it's not like it was back in the the 50s you know you can't just work at one company and retire you know it's you don't know when your your job when you're gonna get fired you don't you don't Mm -hmm. know how long you're gonna last and uh you know you can't have a career at one place and that's this is all commentary and all of that and it's a it's it's funny sad and <laughs> in a lot of ways you know and so it's it's like you know making making light of the the be- the worst situation you can have mm-hmm. um and so you know it's you know there's a reason that mr anderson in the matrix that was released in 19 uh, march of 99 99 um you know he works in a cubicle he work he's a computer software guy i think and and he does almost the same job as peter probably yeah um and then you know he sees that his mundane life is what he's been chasing is real the matrix is real mm-hmm. and uh you know that we're all sort of programmed drones um you know this commentary wasn't wasn't brand new for mike judge but bringing it to uh, in a modern context for everybody uh i think was really important and i yeah. think it it allow us to to find the satire and the and the funny in a lot of this stuff. Yeah, yeah, it resonated for sure. Yeah, you know, Cheers is a workplace comedy, but it's not about the drudgery of working at a bar. It's about a bunch of friends who go to the bar, <laughs> like, right? Um, but you know, anyway, the after work comedy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and the studio really like kind of put the hammer down on on Mike Judge for the failure of this movie and really pointed it all at him he pointed it back at them and then eventually was able to say like see it, it, it was good it did work yeah i can't even imagine them the numbers on rentals and oh yeah sales. huge I, I bought the dvd back in 2002 i think mm-hmm. and gave it away in 2010 i love watching it now and looking back at old old computer stuff you know <laughs> like old yeah like computer screens and the way you know the, the like the the style of type that went in that that old mac like font you know mm-hmm. yeah uh, yeah there's so many like little details in there that's just for those of us that lived it very nostalgic yeah when he's trying to get out on early on friday and he's waiting for the computer yeah. to shut down you remember when your computer had to shut down and it yeah took, it took time you know that's your personal computer but of course that's what work computers were doing like, yeah forever you're like i forgot about that actually watching it like oh yeah this yeah <laughs> and it's so ridiculous <laughs> and he's just it, reacting to it all the oh my god yeah status bars and all that yeah uh so great uh, so so many great details so many great details oh my god we got jennifer aniston throwing the finger throwing the bird at people yeah 
ah, just she couldn't. She took that job. She said, "Take that job and shove it." She was like, "I'm done." You know, <laughs> good for her. That's what David does to me every day here at Recon Cinema yeah. Studios. I'm fucking walking every every, every day. Here. I'm leaving, and then he's back. You know, and seven a.m. the next day. He's you know he's in the office. Can't stay away. Uh, so okay. It's got a cult status, but recently there's been a new wrinkle in that cult status. And one oh. can make an argument that now you can say that Office Space is part of the Star Wars universe. No, you can't. Yes, you can. No, you can't. You sure can. You absolutely cannot. In The Mandalorian, season Stop. two. Don't. Oh, right. They don't make even... a comment about TPS reports. So... <laughs> There it is. Yeah, yeah. Connected. So you can really connect Beavis and Butthead all the way to Star Wars. <laughs> I don't like it. I don't like that Star Wars can make a reference to something and then it can be like it, it, everything that atta- is, is attached to that comment <laughs> is now part of its lexicon. Like, I don't, I don't, come on. It's part of the JCU, the Judge Cinematic Universe. <laughs> well, maybe let's look at it that way. Well, Star Wars is part of the Judge universe. Is Judge is, is getting any kickbacks from from <laughs> the Star Wars <laughs> movies? I don't think so. Uh, okay, well, you know, I guess that's that's uh, we can keep batting that idea around. I, I'm not. <laughs> you just shot it down. <laughs> it does not fly. <laughs> no fly zone. What? Um, all right. How do you think? Uh, how do oh, overall? How do you think it held up? Uh, however many years later, uh, on a scale of one to ten, mm. on the reconsider scale, that's what we're calling it. That's there right. You go. What do you think, Brent? Ten Is being this... uh, pulled holds up like perfectly, and one is it's awful and hasn't aged well at all holds up man that's a difficult call to make from this seat right here because i mean we talked about the areas where we think that it doesn't fly right i mean i think that that's true it certainly doesn't and anybody who hasn't seen the movie or is just being introduced to the movie or is growing up today and you know whatever uh it's probably not going to work for them but i think anybody who is from the nineties or saw it in the nineties or, you know, I mean, and I think a lot of people will still enjoy it, but I think that those certain areas are going to jar some new audience members more than, than anybody who saw it back in the day. So Mm -hmm. it works for me. I like it. It holds up. I give it, I I don't know what a ranking should be for it. Like uh, I give it a 8.6. Whoa. That's fantastic uh, score from Brown. Good work. You, you were, I know you were, you were pensive about being the first number out there. I can tell. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> or apprehend. As I ramble on about my experience. You're like, you're like yes. searching for that number. And, uh, Thank you. Yeah, listen, you know, the movie's got its uh, homophobia, misogynistic, uh, you know, weird little jokes and, you know, whatever. It's a product of the time. I don't, you know, I, I don't care. Uh it's it's fine it's from my generation i i yeah uh this was i mean i was gonna give it just a really a 7.6 or so um but uh, probably higher honestly but you know 7.6 at the low end but 
I don't know. It, it this this is that's a hyper specific number for myself. You know, if, if it was just me and I didn't have to care about anybody else's opinion, yeah, probably a mid eight. You know, just right where you're at. So uh, I like it. I, yeah. yeah, strength in numbers. It's there's no maliciousness to it's dumb. You know, it's failings. It's failings right. are are part of the culture and you know whatever. That's all it is. It's good stuff. I agree with. Uh, I agree with everything both of you said uh i'm gonna give it an 8.372 that's where right. it's gonna land right on that spot for me uh, you know like you were saying the the things that don't hold up yeah they're a product of its time and there's a difference when it's just sort of casual mentions and a one-off versus when some a movie is focused on those subjects so right. you know right. this is very quick you know dialogue bits that don't hold up or you know one particular angle but really the movie as a whole doesn't focus on any of that and so in and and in a way i think part of the idea of it is timeless because there's always going to be people who hate their jobs and hate their bosses and you can always identify that with this movie yeah there's a lot that's you know sticks it in the late 90s early 2000s in particular but which I'm okay with, but um, uh, that I think might not age so well for people. But I think the rest of it, uh, I think there's something that for people to identify with forever. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna you know go right in the mid mid eights and uh, say that it holds up pretty pretty darn well. Wow, I yeah. love it. I'm really glad. I'm really glad we did this movie because it had been a while since I had seen it. So it was really fun watching it again. That's for yeah. sure. Right. What, yeah, a, what was... a fun, breezy movie to watch. You yeah. Know? Just have it's, fun. I was it. cracking up. It's nice to just, you know, movies like this that are just not so heavy. So many films, current films, and a lot of the ones we look at are just heavy, heavy, heavy. So I like to really bring some of these lighter ones back in and, you know, you're waiting for Guffman's and you're, you know, you know, romancing the stone and this, and, um, you know, you can check, dig through, you know what, everybody listening, if you haven't already dig through our archives at www.reconsinimation.com. We have so many, you know, so many good ones back, back there that, uh, you know, we've got Hoosiers, we've got Rushmore, we've got the French connection, we've got, uh, predator you know you want to go big we've got big movies in there too so uh but it's fun to look at some some lighter stuff every every so often absolutely so, so what i'm going to do next time is just go right back into the heavy zone so <laughs> and Great. enjoy the light week while yeah. we have it yeah man <laughs> can't enjoy this too much we gotta get back to the the dark what, what would you, what would you guys do if you had a million dollars i'd Nothing. buy an island mm-hmm. you can do that for a million dollars right <laughs> Yeah, probably. I do, no- I do nothing. I'm all. I'm all about the nothing approach. I that- think if I literally had no responsibilities or ties, I would. I. I. I honestly reference in my head him just saying nothing. Yeah. I, I wouldn't do anything. I'd, I'd do- hang out with my kids a lot, and I would yeah. just do like I would do nothing that required nothing like more life. more focus than just having fun and and enjoying everything. Right. Right. Like that's it. Isn't that great? That's that's the life. I would I would move away from people uh, somewhere where private and remote. I would definitely do that, and then do nothing. Yeah. 
There you go. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, I, I might find a boat so that I can storm your island and sleep on the beach. With my well, family. I would have a tunnel built to Recon Cinema Studios. So. Perfect. Yeah. Oh, the yeah. problem solved. Yeah. The Walt Disney Tunnel. It's like a Batman Returns tunnel system from your castle. Correct. Is it yeah. from yeah. Batman Returns or is that the third movie? Is that Batman? No, I think it's Returns. Forever. He's, yeah, no, Michael Keaton. He got in a tube, right? Yeah. His office. The yeah. Name. Yeah, <laughs> we reviewed the movie. I don't remember. <laughs> hey, it's been a while though. Years ago. Yeah, we're gonna have to start. We're gonna be doing the show so long. We're gonna re-review the movies we already reviewed in the beginning. Yeah. So, yeah. season one, part yeah. two. Part <laughs> two. Uh, all right, um, we're gonna get out of here. But thank you guys for tuning in. Don't forget to check us out on social media. We're Reconsideration Podcast on uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, Reconsideration.com. Uh, and drop us a line there or you know don't forget to give a rating and review wherever you check out your podcasts apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher podbean anywhere uh, and uh, don't forget to check out our friends over at laser graves uh, thank you to ek wimmer for the theme music as usual but his podcast is uh, a hell of a good time so check that one out as well thank you for uh, curtis moore and the poster your posters are already so much better than the one that was made for office space uh, here so <laughs> thank That's you for <laughs> thank you for doing that and uh we will see you guys next time on reconsinimation guys i want those tps reports by the end of the day you got it yeah i'll try to remember the cover letter bye oh, oh what? shit <laughs> we effed it up take care <laughs> <laughs> Bye now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Lumber fucker. <laughs> Honest to God, best line in the movie. <laughs> I'm going to need you to go ahead and come in on Saturday. Yeah. Who do you think you are? Rip your apron off, throw it on the floor, run to the door, to the payphone, make a toll free call, tell your spouse what happened the way you are. What you do at Inatech is you take the specifications from the customers and you bring them down to the software engineers. Yes, y yes, that's, that's right. Well, then I just have to ask, why couldn't the customers just take them directly to the, to the software people, huh? Well, uh, I'll tell you why. Uh, because engineers are not good at dealing with customers. Uh -huh. So you physically take the specs from the customer? Well, no, my, my secretary does that, or the facts. Huh. So then you must physically bring them to the software people? Well, no. Yeah, I mean, sometimes. Uh, what, what would you say you do here? Well, look, I already told you. I deal with the goddamn customers so the engineers don't have to. I have people skills. I am good at dealing with people. Can't you understand it? What the hell is wrong with you people? <laughs>